Hey guys, before we get started, I just want to warn you that this is a hoarders episode and hoarders episodes are likely going to have lots and lots of talk about mental illness, specifically hoarding. Um, there's also talk of self-harm, including suicide. And if any of those things are things that would make this a hard listen for you, go ahead and skip this episode. Thanks. Princess here and welcome to another episode of My Pumpkin. As you can hear, my voice is back, although it's not all the way back. Um, I know people are really concerned that I'm sick. I am not sick. Uh, I haven't been sick in probably a week and a half now. Uh, it's just that I get an upper respiratory infection twice a year, have for many years, and well, I get the infect. I've been getting the infection for as long as I can fucking remember. Um, I just have a bad immune system, guys. Uh, let me take that back. That's not how I want to talk about it. My immune system is suppressed because I have chronic illnesses that do that. But it's doing the best it fucking can, and so am I. Um, but since I've started, you know what? I don't know. I I didn't start podcasting until I had children. So you know what? Maybe it's because I was po- I'm. Now I have children and maybe it's because I'm podcasting. But since then, when I get my usually twice yearly upper respiratory infection, I uh, usually lose my voice. And that's just what's going on here. It's going to remain. It doesn't sound great today to me, but, you know, this is way better than I was last week because I was like, hey, this is princess. (laughs) Like I tried to go to Popeye's and they could not hear me through the fucking through the fucking uh, drive-thru, the the little speaker. I had to roll up and, you know, I got my baby in the back yelling, she wants some chicken, she wants some chicken. <laughs> so, so I'm doing better. I would do even better, better if I would shut the fuck up. But I just don't live in a luxury where I can just be quiet all the time. I just can't. I am constantly talking to children, to coworkers, to Mr. Curtis, to you guys. And so it's going to probably be another week until my voice is exactly where it used to be. So I just want to keep you keep that in mind. If listening to this hurts your ears, you got to let this go. Turn this shit off. Go do something else. Go outside. Touch grass. I don't care. But don't listen to this because I don't know. Like you, we got to like, we got to look for peace in our lives. You know what I mean? Like, why are we watching shit and listening to shit that we hate on purpose? I don't think that's like, that makes us angry. That makes it that, that we intensely dislike. I think the sweet spot is when you're listening and watching things that you kind of love to hate. Like you're like these motherfuckers, but I, I definitely need to know what they're doing next. That's the sweet spot. But like protect your peace. If this shit that I'm, that's coming out of my mouth is not doing it for you, turn the shit off. There's so many other things to do besides this. Um, that said today We've been on a roll of sponsored episodes. I have several more sponsored episodes to get through. I also have some correspondence to get through. So if you guys are waiting for me to respond to an email, a text, a DM, or anything like that, uh, this weekend will be when I'm going through the, the podcast correspondence and I'll do that. But knowing that I have those responsibilities to get through, I really want to talk about this uh, hoarders episode that I watched in early 2020 and tweeted through 
and then got Kara to watch and then we text through it and and I just I just wanted to revisit it. So it is season eleven, episode one. It came out July twenty July twentieth of twenty twenty. So that's not early twenty twenty, but whatever. Um twenty twenty and twenty twenty one ran to fucking gather. Those are the same fucking years. All the days were the same, all the months were the same. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not in charge of time. Whoever is in charge of time, they did that, not me. Um, it's called Carol, because that's the name of the, the hoarder. Um, so they're in Ferguson, Michigan, which looks I'll, idyllic to me. It looks like, I don't know, it looks like a probably a nice place to raise a family. I know right now someone from Michigan is about to DM me and be like, Ferguson is a sundown town. And, like, people of color are not allowed to go through it after a certain hour or they will be murdered. And then I'll take the shit back. But it just looks like when you think of a small town or you think of a smallish town, this is what you think of. And you think of these uh, suburbs. It, it looks it looks nice. And the house that we're in question is a really nice house there. Um, many times throughout the episode, they refer to it as a mansion. Many times they call it a beautiful home, but it's in chaos. Um, we see Carol do the first talking. Carol is, how do I describe Carol? First of all, I never met a Carol that wasn't a bitch. Okay. I, maybe one lady, but I didn't actually meet her. I just know she's not, but I've never met a Carol that didn't make me want to go fuck Carol. Fuck Carol. And this Carol is not helping. So if your name is Carol or your mama's name is Carol, she, you need to be out in this world doing shit and, and nice shit and good shit and then going, hey, by the way, my name's Carol. Just so you know, I'm trying to turn the tide of this name. You, you, gotta, you gotta go out and represent because the Carols that have been representing are not great. Someone's gonna say Carol, Carol Burnett. I never met Carol, Carol Burnett. She seems immensely talented. I don't know if she's a bitch. I don't know. But anyway, this Carol that we're talking about is a fucking bitch. And she's an older lady, okay? I'm assuming... I don't know how old she is. If she's in her 60s, she looks bad for in her 60s. My mother's in her 60s. My mother doesn't look shit like this. Um, Mid-70s, maybe? Maybe? I might believe 80s. Maybe, but she's still got dark hair. So, you know, but not everybody agrees at the same time, whatever. She's, you know, she's got a mouthful of rotten teeth, you know. She's elderly. Your teeth go when you get older. Um, she's got glasses. She's, a, she's, she's short. She, she uses a cane and she spends the majority of this show staring into the camera going, I'm the bad guy, okay? So what? It's all my fault. I'll take the blame. Yeah. She doesn't sound like a 1930s gangster. Still, but that's she's just like antagonistic. She smiles in the wrong places. And I'm going to get to that, which makes her scary. Um, you know, she says that if you're a collector, things get out of hand. You collect things, things get out of hand. And what she's talking about is this big, beautiful house that... It's just packed full of shit. You guys know how hoarders is. Hoarders 
loves to give you B-roll footage of the, just, them just panning through shit after shit after shit. And so we get a lot of that. And, you know, the house, it's a three-story home. I believe there are nine rooms in it. I don't know when they say nine rooms, do they include, like, living rooms? You know? Or is it a nine-bedroom? I'm not sure, but it's... But people refer to it as a mansion, so... Nine rooms is not unheard of for, in my understanding of what a mansion is. Um, this is beautiful wraparound um, porch. Man, they don't make fucking houses with those wraparound porches anymore. Where you can just put like, well, I mean, they do make something. I mean, they make whatever. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like, so I live in a cookie cutter development, right? I, I, I. I know I talk a lot of shit about my house, but I am incredibly grateful for my house. I am incredibly grateful that I bought this house in 2019. That was so, like, fortunate that I did that and that I was not in a three-story townhouse in 2020 when my kids were not, you know, I'm incredibly fortunate. Um, Financially and for all the other reasons that you want to be in a house during the pandemic. But my house is a cookie cutter development house, all right? Um, you go three houses down, it looks just like this house. It's the same floor plan and everything. The people catacording us, these motherfuckers got our exact same house. And why they make me shame every day? They out there building shit. They build, I don't even know what the name of that shit is, but it's the, it's a, it's a structure. It goes up and then like, um, there are like slats. It's called something. I can't remember it. And then, like, you can put, like, fabric through it. They built that in the backyard. They got all these beautiful lights. They got a shed back there. Um, they're a little Vietnamese family. It's just, like, a mom and a dad and, like, like a couple of... It feels like it's either one or two daughters and then, like, a son that's probably, like, in middle school. But they, it seems like the other kids are, like... The other kid, maybe, is, like, in high school. Um, and they got a cute little dog... And the, the, seems like the parents are older on the older side and they, they be out there, that little old man be out there making pathways and shit and putting up big ass decorations during Christmas and painting shit. Just making me shame. I peeped in his backyard. He's got a garden back there. He be doing, he be lighting it up girl. And the reason that it makes me shame is because he got the exact same fucking house. So then when they look over at my house, oh, girl, he he stained his fence all cute. Damn, I want to go live over there. <laughs> he's, like, he's always doing shit over there. And then all you got to do is turn your head to the right and see my house and be like, what the fuck they doing over there? So this is why you don't want to live in a cookie cutter development. That and the fact that you'll never know if it's your, actually, that's not true. I always know when I'm going to my house. I have never walked in someone else's home accidentally. But yeah, I do like, I like, this is the type of house you get these days. A little development house. I mean, you have to buy, you have to go out and, I mean, you, of course you can buy a house with a lot of character and everything. And that's great. But I personally don't give a fuck about character. Like not in the grand scheme of things. Not when it comes to my money. Like I just want a roof over my head and I want it to be able to like my kids to have space and stuff. That's all I wanted. But, you know, there are some people that, like, are just like, oh, if you got, like, a little cookie-cutter house, you're full of shit. And maybe they're right. But my little house is not made 
the way this house on this show is. Not with that wraparound fucking porch where you can put all these rocking chairs out there. And it's Michigan too, so y'all got some seasons and shit. I would love to be in Michigan during the fall in a in a rocking chair, you know, on a wraparound porch. Having like, I don't know, a spice apple um, tea of some sort or maybe some cider of some sort. And maybe wearing a scarf, you know. And just kind of, you know, just rocking back and forth, enjoying. They have this big, beautiful yard. This house is set way back. Like, they have, they don't have a yard. They got a lawn. They got a fucking lawn. This is a beautiful fucking house. They said it was built in 1905. It's a historic home. Like I said, it's three stories. It's huge. It was considered the crown jewel of the neighborhood. So it's not even just of, of like, I can look at it and tell, like, it's a, it's a great house. It is probably the best house in the neighborhood. Um, and it's full of shit. The owner of the house's name is Dave. Dave says, Dave is Carol's husband. And I want to talk about this, the fact that throughout this episode, we talk a lot about how she went to her husband's house, how she did this to her husband's house, how she took advantage of her husband's house. And as much as I, as much as Carol is a motherfucker, okay, that bitch is a motherfucker. I dislike the way we talk about it as if they're married and they've been married, gosh, 20 years, 21 years. Um, why do we keep saying his house? But that's what the show say. I'm going to, I'm going to keep with the narrative and she, Dave is the owner of the house and he says that Carol brings things in, brings things in, but very little leaves. Dave is obviously an elderly man. Again, you can tell Steve, he's got white hair. He's gosh, you know how people get smaller and they get older. He, he's, he, you can tell he got smaller. He's also, uh, not very mobile. He has an oxygen tank that he needs to that needs to go with him. Um, it looks a lot like my dad's oxygen tank. Uh, my dad doesn't need, he doesn't have to use his oxygen tank, but they wanted him to have it because, because of his lung issues. If his lungs are struggling to like pump oxygen through his body, it puts strain on his heart. And so if he is ever having trouble breathing and he doesn't, always have trouble like it's not it's not to the point where he's walking around with his oxygen tank but the the issue is if like he wakes up and he's having trouble breathing they want him to use an oxygen tank to take strain off his heart which is understandable but like very scary when your dad comes home with an oxygen tank but yeah that's what this guy has he's a little guy he, he looks i don't know 70s 80s so so here's the backstory. This was Dave's house first. He lived here with his first wife. Her name was Mary. Everyone called her B, B-E. Um, they would entertain all the time. He was a, uh, I don't want to say a fire chief, but he was a firefighter. They were very well known in the neighborhood. The kids, the, the kids' friends, they had three sons. The kids' friends would be there all the time. The, every holiday... They would be hosting something. 
And Dave says that the rule was if it was less than 50 people, they didn't consider it a party. If 50 people came to my house right now, I would call the police. And you guys know I don't be calling the fucking police. That's a lot of fucking people. But listen, they got this big, beautiful house, this this lawn, this great backyard. They are just like, all, they're the place to fucking be. They were saying that the, the door was never locked. Everyone loved going there. He and B were like this model couple. B was beautiful and like, you know, a star. And, you know, every, everyone loved her. She was so welcoming and friendly and sociable. And, you know, she had her three sons and her and her firefighter husband in this beautiful home. And people really did envy them. She was so fun and popular. And Carol also existed. Carol was one of their friends. Carol was actually the kid's music teacher. Okay. And what they say is that she was a friend of the family. She, B, and Dave were very close, tight, always together. This is why I need to tell you. I, I'm like, I was like, oh, so they was fucking, right? That's what y'all about to tell me. And maybe that's my mind. Maybe that's my mind. I'm like, why would you tell me this if you're also not gonna tell me they were fucking? But they're gonna tell me they wasn't fucking. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. You don't find it interesting that like, yeah. And they wasn't fucking? Okay. All right. Okay. 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 They was fucking. As far as I, I'm just telling you, they was fucking. So they're like, you, you know, you, you couldn't see, you couldn't see B if Carol and Dave wasn't there. And if you saw Dave, B and Carol be right behind them. They were like, mm, just as thick as fucking thieves. And that's when the screen says, but there was a family secret. And I was like, yeah, they was fucking. And... The screen says, no, 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 princess, they wasn't fucking. The family secret that they kept was that B had bipolar disorder. B was very sociable. B was a life of the party. B was this beautiful person that was that was always like, you know, just it felt like, what's that saying? She walked between the raindrops. Do you know that's like, maybe I'm not even saying it right, but it's one of the, what they mean is that like, is that the person is just like the sun shines on them always. Even when it's raining, like a drop doesn't hit them. They like they, the the they walk between the raindrops. And B felt like one of those people, at least that's what everyone thought of her. But she also had clinical depression she'd been diagnosed with. She'd been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. She would have high highs, low lows. And like at one point she was hospitalized. And she checked herself out like three days later. And it was just something the family knew about. And I guess that's easy to hide when you are very sociable. And, you know, there's a lot of time between 4th of July and Labor Day. You know what I mean? And you, you're you ready to go again once, once it's time for you to come out and be the Labor Day queen or whatever. So, one day Dave comes home. The door is locked. That's a big deal. They don't lock doors. Her oldest is, um, their, their oldest son at this point is grown and married. He might be just barely married, but he's married. And he just had a baby. And they've had the baby. Her name is Mary. Mary's going to be a part of this at some point. It's important that you know that. That, that just had this baby. 
And Dave comes in. The the boys aren't really there anymore, but um, it's him and B. And he goes, he can't find her. He looks around and he goes to the basement and she has um, ended her life down there. It's under, I'm under the impression that committed suicide is just like really clunky and no longer like how people describe it. Um, completed suicide, but I also don't, but I heard also that's, that's going out the window. Um, I want to say it in a way that is like respectful, but also is descriptive. And yeah, she died and she killed herself, um, in the basement. I assume it was a hanging just the way that they keep like the B roll they keep showing us is in that basement with a chair and I don't know. It just, it made me think she hung herself immediately after this happens. Carol is living in the house. Her and Dave are together. She out here using Carol's credit cards. She out here driving Carol's old Lincoln Town car. You know them big ass Lincoln Town cars. Old people love to drive. My granddaddy. Oh my God. The the man has been uh, shrinking over and over and over again. Isn't even quite that lucid, but got the car the size of a fucking battleship. So... Yeah, like Carol immediately becomes, like takes B's place. They get married, like, mm, let me just make sure. Like it's 48 hours she was in the house, by the way. They're married within 18 months, you know, which is like, so when they're like, oh, the, the boys didn't really, the boys, the boys, uh, had an issue with that. I can understand that. That you have this beloved mother who is like, I don't know, just really built up in everyone's eyes, not just the families. And she's gone. And then two days later, that fucking music teacher that's always hanging around is living in the house. Now Carol says she came to take care of the Dave, um, which I understand. That's plausible. Here's another thing that's plausible. Carol killed B. Do I have any fucking evidence about that? No. Did anybody in this fucking show say that? No. But I'm sorry. I'm a Dateline viewer, okay? I'm a Law and SVU chick, okay? That You can't tell me this story and tell me that Carol didn't, Carol the motherfucker, didn't kill B. It only makes all the fucking sense in the world. But okay, okay, okay. Here's another reason. I'll tell you why I think it happened. One, every time Carol talks about B being dead, she smiles a really weird smile. And I do know that there are people, you know, I laugh when I'm nervous too. And like, I understand people have different reactions to things. However... That is a creepy fucking smile she's doing over there. And somebody should have been like, listen, you need to turn the, you know, the edges of your lips. They need to go down. They need to go down, not up. Cause this is, don't do that. Don't, don't talk about how she killed herself and they found her down there and you're fucking smiling. Carol, like have some, like, have you never been in society? Is this your first time? 
People don't want you to smile when you're talking about shit like that. Especially since you were in the house 48 hours later and downtown using their fucking credit cards. Listen, if this was cold case, okay? If this was cold case, you know, the one with the blonde lady whose hair is like, looks like a ratty mess. Like if you like took it down, you find like, I don't know, a bunch of pencils and shit in there. That show, cold case, if this was cold case, we would have found out this, that B, uh, Carol and Dave have been fucking, and that the, the agreement was that we was all gonna fuck together. You know, we, that like that's a reasonable agreement. We're gonna be in a poly relationship, but we're gonna be fucking each other together. And then you know, I don't know, B went down to the Piggly Wiggly or something to get some um, ham hocks. Well, they're in Michigan. I'm sure they weren't eating ham hocks, but they, but you know, I don't know, maybe. I don't know, maybe Bee's from the South. But she went down there to get her some ham hocks, some cornbread, and some butter beans. And while she's down there, Carol rolls up to the house, and her and Dave get it on. But they don't. But Bee's not there. But, bro, that wasn't the agreement. So now Bee done found out about it, and she's, she's upset. She done told Dave, listen, listen, no more Carol. We're done with the Carol shit. And Dave's like, oh, okay, whatever. Dave seems like a go-along-to-get-along type of guy, to be completely honest. I'll talk about that when I get to my second theory. But B was like, no, you're my family now. I'm I'm in this with you. And B, and not B, Carol says that. And B's like, no, you aren't. We brought you in as a guest star and your role has been written out of the script. Move on. Go teach some music somewhere. And that's when, and she then she went down, then she went down to the uh, basement um, to go get a jar of chitlins because she was. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just saying, she was at the Piggly Wiggly. She done got them fucking butter beans. You might as well go down there and get some chitlins. So she didn't go. She done went down there to get a jar because she been canning chitlins. I don't. This is not what you do with chitlins. <laughs> I don't like chitlins. I don't like it. <laughs> but my um. My mom and dad eat chitlins. Again, they grew up, this is the way they grew up eating food. And I've never had a chitlin in my life because when they made it, when I was like four years old, four or five years old, I was like, bro, what is that? (laughs) That stinks. Why is it going to smell like that forever? (laughs) The whole fucking, I remember standing at the front door of the house just like with my face pressed against the storm door, just being like, I want to leave here. <laughs> but anyway, so B goes down there to get something out the basement. You know, that's where they're storing their pantry and stuff. And Carol follows her down there. And she says, I'm not going to let you try to erase me out of this. And that's when she does what she does. This is cold case. That would have been what happened. You know it and I know it. Theory number two, Dave and Carol didn't be because they wanted to be together but it's hard to to picture that because dave is such a mild-mannered person now like i keep telling you guys people get old and they could be like bastards like the worst people on earth and they just age into a little old man and they'll be like hey sonny and you're like yeah i do remember when you used to hit people upside the head with hammers okay (laughs) like just because just because you kept living does not mean we're gonna like stop so it's possible Dave was in a different, I don't, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. It actually makes more sense that like B and Dave were like 
in their 40s or like mid 40s when this happened, which would make them in their mid 60s, like Carol and Dave, like in their mid 60s. And again, if they're in their mid 60s, they look fucking terrible for the six. They look terrible. But whatever. Aging like fucking milk out here. Um, What was I saying? Oh, those are two theories. Either Carol killed her or Carol and Dave killed her. And I'm just, I, the Cave's the one smiling like a fucking serial killer. Like she's auditioning for Criminal Minds or some shit. Jesus. Like Mandy Patinkin's gonna come out any moment now and talk her out out of like stabbing a, a young child or something. That this, this is ridiculous. She is like a clear villain. I haven't, well, I was gonna say, I don't know how she thought she was gonna do this and not be looked at the villain, but that's not true. She knows she's the villain. She keeps saying it. I'll get to it. Carol's in the house 48 hours later, 18 months later, they're married. The sons don't go to a wedding. They, this house used to be a place where they all gathered all the time and the family kind of splinters. It gets to the point where if the sons came over to visit Dave, Carol would meet them at the door and not let them through the threshold. Um, everybody has these emotional, these like super emotional feelings towards this house. And so like not being allowed back in there is, is a big deal. And also keep in mind that they, since the house was like the crown jewel of the neighborhood, they did all this entertaining. They really took care of the house. Like they took care and like decorating it and furnishing it and, you know, wallpaper. Like they, they really did like, it was really important that their house looked really nice. So now they don't have access to it. And they kind of stayed away. Carol is very controlling, according to Dave. The hoarding started and no one really knew about it until it got really bad. Because no one's coming in besides Dave. She was shopping all this time. She was spending all of the money that Dave had. She refinanced the house to her benefit. She added a second mortgage to her benefit. Um, they said she's probably, in this 20 years, she spent like half a million dollars shopping. Which... Okay, so because I'm used to talking about like lavishly spending celebs and stuff, half a million dollars doesn't sound like a lot of money to me. But considering she lives in fucking Ferguson, uh, Michigan, and her ass is buying like little wicker baskets, half a million dollars is a lot of fucking money to spend. When they finally came back to the house, when the oldest, I think the oldest is Dave, Dave Jr., but Kevin seems to be the one that's like taking the lead, like that uh, does the most care for his father and all those other things. When Kevin finally went, was allowed inside the house many years later, the only person living there was Dave. Because when the money ran out, Carol moved out of the house. Now, she had added all these things she had the entire house is full to the brim, like to the fucking ceiling, like the staircase, full, three stories, full everywhere. There's no running water anymore because she's not paying utilities. Um, there's no heat. There's the, the refrigerator is full of rotten food. Kevin finally discovers this. Because the city inspector is wants to condemn the fucking house. I think a lot of people don't realize this, that 
I'll say Mr. Curtis is one of them, is that just because you own a piece of property does not mean you can do whatever the fuck you want on there. There's zoning issues. Uh, depending on where you live, there's an HOA. There are very few places in Texas, and I don't mean like the rural areas of Texas, but they're like, I'm talking in Austin, Houston, Dallas. There are very few places that you can buy a home and there will not be an HOA at all. There are very few new developments anywhere that you can buy and there won't be an HOA. There are obviously exceptions. There are obviously states where there's less of that. There are areas where there's less of that. But when these developers make these little developments, they love having an HOA in them. Then you are bound by the ordinances of the city you're in too. So like in my city, every house must have a garage Every new build, excuse me, because there are older houses that aren't, you know. I don't know if you, have you watched a lot of uh, HGTV? <laughs> um, what's the one that's in Canada? Guy's tall. He does a rental property. So what he does is he, it's called income property. He redoes people's houses so that they can like convert a basement or a garage or something into an income property, like a little suite. And... I forget his name. He's cute though. I can see why the girlies like him. And every time you open a wall, he finds knob and tube wiring, which is old ass wiring. And once you open a wall and you see that you have to, you have to do it the whole time. Like when and my husband used to watch the show, he'd be like, don't open that wall. Don't open that wall. It's going to have knob and tube in there. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to. I don't know what knob and tube wiring is. I'm assuming it's very old wiring. But so if you watch a lot of HDTV shows, you know that if it's already built, it doesn't have to, it usually doesn't have to comply to new ordinances. But as soon as you start like remodeling it, as soon as you start constructing on it, it now has to be up to the current code. And so there are all kind like when my husband when we when we moved here and my husband was like, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. I was like, oh, we have to check the HOA. He was like, why? And I was like, cause we agreed. We're we have an HOA. Can't buy a house here if you're not gonna be an HOA. HOAs are built on a racist ideology. They used to they used to keep non-white people out of neighborhoods. Um, HOAs can put a low a lien on your fucking house if you don't pay your little HOA fees. Like there's a lot of shit HOAs do that are. I mean, they're bad. I, I, I want to say that they're, they're bad in general. Well, they're always bad until your neighbor's doing something you don't want them to do. And then you're like, someone called HOA. <laughs> so, but besides the little Vietnamese family across the way, I usually don't really keep up with my neighbors. Maybe in like a nosy way and be like, oh, what are they doing over there? But I was just saying this on Twitter. I've never had a, a noisy neighbor. I've never lived underneath someone that made too much noise and that affected my life. And I think it's because I might be the noisy neighbor, right? Because if you never had a noisy neighbor, why? it must be you. But the fact is, like, I am, like, extra good at minding my own fucking business. Like, I really don't want to talk to anybody. Do not knock on my door. Leave me alone. No, I don't want to do this block party. No, I'm not going to participate in that. No, I don't want any Girl Scout, Girl Scout cookies. Please leave me alone. And, like, I... Don't even think about those people. And so my husband will be like, you, you don't hear that music? I'm like, no, I don't hear any music. 
because I'm really focused on what's happening inside my fucking house, not outside. I don't know whose car that is. I'm, I'm not worried about those things. And so, like, I don't know. Uh, I'm not a person that's like, quick, call the HOA. They're over there painting their fence green. I'm not, that's not, that's not who I am as a person. But, um, yeah, like, oh, I'm off topic. Um, as a rule, like, there, it's not, you can own it all you want to. You There are all kinds of other rules you need to follow based on, like, what's in place there. And so the city inspector is like, the city inspector can put a lien on your house and take it. The city inspector can, can condemn it. They can do all kinds of things if you are not up to code. The house has become a fire hazard. And Kevin is a fire chief. So the city inspector, like they've been getting notices at that house. The city inspector reached out to Kevin and was like, listen, uh, some bad shit's going on with your dad. And Kevin goes over, finds like rotted food, shit's everywhere. Like he, he can't fucking believe it. And he says, when you go through the front door, you go through, there's just a little small path of shit, just like pushed to the side. So there's a small path. And when you go to the end of that path, there's his dad with that little man with his oxygen chain on a filthy couch with mouse traps all around him doing things like his little models or whatever, no running water using like jugs of water to flush the toilet, rat feces all around him. Like I would flip the fuck out. If I ever found one of my parents in that condition somewhere. My my father's father, the one who died, he had dementia. He was an alcoholic his entire life. I could be talking about any one of my grandfathers, by the way. But, but um, this is my father's father. And he was married many times. Again, any one of my grandfathers. Um... And as he got older, he couldn't live by himself. Two incidents happened that my father was like, he can't do this anymore. I can't. So he's on like uh, social security. So he's living in section eight housing. And my dad is back. We're living in town. He goes to the house. My dad's, my granddaddy's not there. And he's searching around for him. And he, what he finds is that my granddaddy has moved in with some other older people from his neighbors and stuff. So he goes to find my granddaddy. He knocks on the door. There are like way too many people in this house. It's filthy in there. He's asking for his father. My dad's a really nice guy. He doesn't get mad. Like I, the difference between my mom and, and dad is this. My dad talking about his worst enemies is like, Let's pray for them. We don't know what they're going through. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus heals. <laughs> and we must. <laughs> it's like, that's how my dad talks about people. My mom is like, what the fuck does this bitch want? And she'd be talking about her best fucking friend. You know this hoe. You know how she is. Like, that's that's how they talk, okay? So my dad's not. But if he gets mad, like... You really, even when he's mad, he's very polite. I, like while I was visiting home in February, he was having uh, a mean customer service call. And on the customer service call, he was like, 
I feel like you guys are playing with my emotions and I don't like it. Now, what is your name? Mm -hmm. Now, I need to speak to your manager. Yes, I don't want to say it, but give me your manager. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'll wait. I'll hold. Like, that's him mad. But that's where he goes first. But if he gets really mad, like... You don't want to be around him. Like, I can't take it when he's really mad. Because it takes so long for him to get really mad. Like, cursing and mad. And the time he threw my cousins out and banned them from the house. Like, you, it takes so long for him to get there. But by the time he gets there, he's so fucking mad. That I'm just like, let him do whatever the fuck he's going to do. Because you can't stop him. So at this point, my dad's really mad. Because he can't find his dad. He wasn't told he moved. He hadn't told any of his children. He, and he goes and finds him. My granddaddy is locked in a room in the back. It's locked from the outside. And he's just in there. And there's like a filthy mattress. And he's like, yeah, this is where I'm going to be staying from now on. And my dad's like, what the fuck are you even talking about? This is when he really started to have cognitive decline. My dad gets him out of there and moves him back to his place. And the second time, the, the last straw, the last straw is they moved him to a different Section 8 housing. And my dad goes over, he, he would go over to make like, he'd make a bunch of meals and he'd go over and like leave meals. And then other siblings would come and check him throughout the week. And he goes in there and he's putting things in the freezer and he opens the freezer and there's a cat in the freezer. And a dead cat, not a real cat. I mean, it was a real cat, but it wasn't alive. And... My dad's horrified and wants to know what the fuck happened. And he finds out that my grandfather bought this from a person selling meat. Which happens all the time in the hood, by the way. Not even in the hood. My husband got with this meat dealer and was buying meats all the time. But, like, door-to-door, -door, like, wholesale, like, I, we cut up the whole cat, Like, that sort of shit. But it's obvious that he had been tricked or lied to and taken advantage of. And someone had like gotten a dead cat and given it to him and wrapped it up in some, like, and my dad was just like, we're at the, I know you want to stay by yourself. We're at the point where you can't. And the anger he felt in those moments is like, I can understand that. I can understand how Kevin felt walking to this house where I'll talk more about the blame they place on Carol. But walk into this house where this woman hasn't really let you in. You, It feels like she's taking advantage of your father. He has no money. He's this little man. He's on a dirty couch where he sleep, he sits and sleeps all day. And, and she's gone. She's in her new place. She fucked up this place and then left. I would be livid. I don't know if... I might try to physically harm Carol. And I know that like... As a person, you should not be physically violent. I know that. I know that's wrong. But I can see myself getting to the part where I'm so angry. Especially if she if she happened to be there. When I found out that that my dad had been living, that, that I felt like she'd been taking advantage of my father and had him living in these conditions. I can see myself getting physically violent. Because th this is like nothing you want to ever see for your family. Especially as your parents get older, they get less powerful. I don't know how to explain that. They just get smaller. They get more vulnerable. You take more care of them. The roles reverse. 
They, they've been wiping your ass for all your life and suddenly you're wiping theirs. And there's, I might've gotten physically violent with Carol. I'm just going to keep that real. I definitely would have cussed her out. I definitely would have screamed on her. So they find him there. He's been, his health has been declining already. He's got lots of health issues. He's on the oxygen tank. And it took like two years of them like trying to convince him to leave. And they eventually moved in with Kevin. Like this house is everything to him. If you can, I, like, have I explained enough how much this house means to these people? I don't think it's that good to feel this, this tied to a, to a, a material object. I really don't. Because it, it, it's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's healthy. That said, they love this house. They love this house. They love this house. Especially Dave. It represents, or he's happy. It represents B, who was the love of his life, taken away from him too soon. And he didn't want to leave, but they finally convinced him to go. Because it's a fire hazard. Like, it. All it would take is some spark, and this motherfucking house would go up. And you can't get out. Because it's piled to the. It's, it's a fire hazard. I wouldn't leave a dog in that house. There's, there's, I can't think of a person or thing that I would leave in that home and just be like, good luck to you. Except for Carol. That's the only person I would leave in that house. Now, Carol is like, I don't give a rat's ass as I look bad to anybody. I don't owe anyone anything except myself, and that includes Dave. I'm like, why are you saying this? But again, she's got her own place. She lives with her son in another house that they rent. So the thing that like, like really incenses people is that Carol left the house, but left all this shit in it and is upset that they want to clean it out. Carol, as far as I'm concerned, Carol, you left this shit here. You bet you either take it with you or it's gone. I just don't understand that these are the most important things you own, but you don't live here, you left it here. This is not a storage unit. So, you know, Kevin and his wife, I think her name is Missy, um, have been doing what they can, trying to doing financially for this house. Um, you know. They have made some progress. They have cleaned up the that big wraparound porch and the back area. And but you know, it's hard to even know where to start. And so they call hoarders, and that's what we're doing here. We do see where the city inspector meets with Kevin and is and is really impressed with the with the uh progress they've made. He's like, this looks like a world different on the outside, obviously. But he's but he needs to get in the basement. He need, like this stuff has to be clear cleared of clutter you need to have um clear ways in and out of the house and like the basement and shit like there's a lot of things that like you cannot have because it's a fire hazard so that's what they're gonna be working on during the hoarding thing i i think kevin and missy called hoarders to get them to pay for um the cleanup people i think that's the real reason they called and I think that because 
normally the reason you want mental health experts there as well as um you just need you need you need support right is because you can't just clean up a hoard and fix the problem because all that happens is that you put the hoarder in great distress and they just do it again they just start another hoard is what they do um my oldest son, I call him my hoarder son. I shouldn't because he isn't technically a hoarder. He's He doesn't have that mental illness. What it, he does have, though, is um, childhood trauma from being moved around a lot, being, things being taken from him, people and things being taken from him constantly. Like, one day you're here, one day you, one day this is my family, and the next day I don't see those people anymore. Now I'm with a new family. This is my new foster family. Oh, they're going to adopt me. Oh, wait. No, they're not. They are moving out of state. They they are not going to adopt me because something is going on with my brother. They, and they're closing their foster home and leaving the state in a week. And my caseworker has to figure out what the fuck to do with me. Here's a new foster home. Oh, they're abusing me. Oh, here's a new foster home. Oh, they didn't know that my brother was going to be this much trouble. Time to move again. Middle of the night again. Things like every, like this is a, this is a problem. And so Turtle has his attachment to things. Turtle just holds on to anything he possibly can. Cheeks is not like that. If, because, so once a month I go in one child's room and we do a deep clean of the room. I talked about this on Twitter. A lot of times people will be like, you have five kids, princess. And I'll be like, yeah, I know. They'd be like, how do you have time to do anything? And I just don't understand why they think I'm making five dinners a night. How long do you think it takes to make dinner? It takes exactly how long it takes for you to make dinner. I just put more in the pot. And I usually try to make big batches of things so I can have leftovers and I only have to cook like every other day. Like a lot of the stuff people, I don't, some, I forget who it was. I was tweeting with someone. I was talking about this. And they said, probably what people think is your life is like the beginning of Home Alone. People screaming, people running around, things, no one knows where anything is. And that's just not what my life is like. Because I would die if my life was like the beginning of Home Alone. But when I did that tweet thread, I just talk about what I do and how I do it. I talk about how my husband does dishes and cleans the kitchen. And he cooks half the meals. He does the morning routine and then I get dressed and then I drive them to the bus stop because it's further away. And then I drive to work. Then I do the afternoon routine. I do the sleep stuff. Um, the kids have chores, which I pay them for. Like Turtle's got like $300. <laughs> um, and they, you know, they, they trade off on walking the dogs with me. Like we... We do a lot, like we trade off on a lot of things and they have chores and I have them tidy the bathroom every day. Like they wipe down the surface in the bathroom, especially around the toilet. Cause I have little boys, little young boys and stuff like that. And once a week, my husband goes in and he deep cleans the bathroom. Like he scrubs the bathroom. Once a week I go in the kitchen, they're in charge of clearing the counters and putting away groceries and things like that. But once a week I go in there and I, really clean those fucking counters and cabinets and making sure this shit is clean, reorganize the things I need to, reorganize the pantry, clean stuff out of the kitchen. I do that once a week. But once every month, 
I go in one of my children's rooms and we deep clean their rooms together. And we go through stuff. I'm like, we figure out, like, is this broken? Can we still play with this? Oh, we can't. Goes in the trash. Are these clothes too little? Goes in a donation pile. Let's re- let's reset our drawers. Let's fold our drawers and make sure they're in the hierarchy of where they, the things go here, things go there. Let's clean out this closet. Let's let's clean these carpets. And we do it together because one, I don't like to. Th- when I was growing up, my mom would just throw away anything she didn't want you to have. Didn't matter. Then she would. Then when you'd ask her about it, she would look like she didn't know what the fuck you were talking about. She might even help you look for it. But she was throwing away your things. Like if you were wearing a shirt and she didn't like how that shirt looked on you, it looked sloppy, it was stained or whatever. Instead of being like, hey, you don't, that shirt, is that how you want to look? Have you noticed that you have like a big fucking stain in the middle of it and it's not coming out with laundry and let's figure out something else and having that conversation with you to the point where you decide, oh, I'm going to only wear it to bed from now on then, or I'm going to do this. Instead, what she would do, she would wait until you took the shirt off and throw it away. And for a long time, I used to do that to my husband, actually. I call it editing. I would edit his wardrobe because I did laundry. But as I got kids, I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to take things from them. I want to make decisions with them. And so that's what we do. And we do it together. So one, you understand what I'm talking about when I'm saying I want things clean. Two, I can like manage like, I don't know, like, is this Barbie? Is this Barbie whose hair you cut off? Do you play with that anymore? And we can make that decision together. The hardest person it is to do with is Turtle. Because Turtle keeps I once, it took days for me to convince him that he did not need these. He found a bag of Valentine's Day cards at school from the year prior addressed to someone else and wanted to keep them. He would come home. He hasn't done it this year yet, but he would, after a party, like, a Valentine's Day party, the holiday party, the New Year party. After those parties, he would come back with the decorations from the party. Like if, you know, all the parents, uh, not all, but like the parents, it's up to the parents to donate food for those types of parties and stuff. So like they would say, can, these, can this mom bring like three bags of chips? So what would happen though is that my son would take the leftovers from the party and show up with a giant bag of tortilla chips. Stale tortilla chips that every child in the class had put their hands all over and would cry when I was like, what is that? Please let me keep it, please. He just, he feels better with more things around him. And once he gets attached to something, he just wants it. Now, I could be an asshole and just go in there and throw his shit away. I don't do that. We have conversations. We talk about, we make compromises. If he has a lot of something, we talk about ways that we can like take the best part of it and leave the stuff. We look at things. We go, is this dirty? Is this, what do you do with this? How do you, how do you play with this? Oh, I can't play with it. It's broken. So why do we want to keep it? What are you going to, what do you think this is going to bring to your life? And so we have those conversations. It just takes longer to do that because all the other kids will be like, Hey mommy, I found this broken toy. Hey, mommy, I don't want this anymore. Oh, like Turtle tries to keep clothes that are too small for him. He's very tall. And I'll be like, 
those sleeves don't go down to your to your wrist and he'll he'll be like you know but I want to keep this I want I want to have this I want to have this and so I don't think like I call him my hoarder son but he's not a a, a textbook he's not a hoarder like by the actual definition but he's someone who gets very attached to things. I can see he has a lot of anxiety. He has a lot of things. I can see how something might happen. He develop a hoarding personality. I can see that. I'm not. But this is why we don't throw away people's hoards. Because all it does is it distresses them. And then, they, I mean, they're so upset with you. They, they have anxiety attacks. All kinds of things that happen to them. They can have meltdowns. And not like a child meltdown, but like a, my life is like over meltdown. Like some of them can get violent depending on who the person is. And then all they do is they start another horde. That's all they fucking do. That said, I don't give a fuck about Carol. I don't care if this is like fucking with Carol's mental health. And I don't give a fuck if Carol starts another horde at her new house. Fuck Carol. Okay? So... Like, I understand what we're trying to do here. But for me, it's fuck Carol. And as far as I'm concerned, they could have thrown all that shit out. But okay, they trying to make nice. Fine. You can't make nice with someone who murdered your mother. You just can't. Sometimes I listen to the Dateline episodes. <laughs> and they'll be at, like, the court. And then somebody will be like, I forgive you for killing my mother. And God will take, and I always think to myself, I would never make a speech like that. I would be like, they'd be like, princess, can you talk about your victim impact? Can you, do you give your victim impact statement? I was like, yes, I can. Um, I don't forgive you. Uh, I hope you rot in hell. In fact, I'm not religious, but I just joined a religion so I can hopefully pray that you go to hell. I... Hope that you are stabbed with a rusty shiv in a prison fight. I know you only got 10 years. I'm going to do my best to get you charged with crimes in prison so you can go longer. If I ever see you on the motherfucking street, you better hope you see me first. Because it's on like fucking Donkey Kong, bitch. I'm going to kill you. Like... <laughs> I guess I wouldn't say that. I'd like to be smarter than that. Threatening to murder people in court at the sentencing of a murderer. I, I would like to be smarter than that. I would like to leave the courthouse that day, you know, not get locked up. But I can see myself being like, I'd never forgive you. I don't forgive you. In fact, I just joined an Episcopalian church and they're going to teach me how to pray so that God can have vengeance on you. I don't know how long that's going to take, but I'm going to fucking do it. I have a voodoo doll with your face on it, bitch. Like, I can see. Like, what the fuck are you even talking? Forgive you? Hell. Hell. How can I forgive you? How do you make this right? I know. I know. I know. See, that's, that's, that's old princess, okay? New princess be trying to work towards shit, okay? But that's old. That's the old princess old in the back, in the past. But she pop out sometimes. I know forgiveness is for myself, not for the other person. I know that. That you have to move past things so that you can open yourself to, to what to what is for you. You cannot spend all your time and energy hating somebody and still get the things out there that are for you. In 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 layman's turn, blocking your blessings. I 
It, I don't necessarily believe, but you understand what I'm trying to say. Like that's, that's what blocking your blessings is about. I don't want to block my blessings. I want to thrive. I want to move on. I want to live better than I've ever lived before. And so even though I'm a petty person, I enjoy revenge and I hold grudges. Sometimes I have to be like, I think I'm going to put this grudge down just for a minute so I can focus on myself because I'm spending too much time on this. I can see that, but yeah, me being like, oh, I forgive you because Jesus want me to forgive you. Who the fuck is that? Jesus, you fucking forgive. I'll be over here to count down to the day you fucking die, bitch, so I can go and piss on your grave, bitch. Like, <laughs> like I ain't Jesus. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Who the fuck told you that I was? I'm not. And like I said, I'll be seeing you. And you better hope you see me first. You better. You fucking better. <laughs> the Lord ain't done with me yet. So. <laughs> anyway. So. The hoarding expert comes to me with Carol. And go through the things. And you know. Talk about what happened. Carol is. Very much like, I'm the bad guy. It's my fault. This is my stuff. Doesn't matter what I say. I won't talk about that. I won't bring this up. And the hoarding expert said, essentially, so the hoarding expert, I, like, listen, I could have taken better notes, but the hoarding expert is obviously a mental health professional, right? Pro hopefully one that specializes in hoarding because, like, you know, you need specialty, you need experience, you need, I mean, the truth is anybody can do anything, right? Like, they they could have just been, like, the first therapist that'll show up here. Let's give it. But hopefully it's someone who specializes in this and, like, has a deeper understanding and has working hours and understands, like, what needs to be done. But he basically says that, you know, there might be some cognitive decline with Carol. She's repeating herself over and over. She doesn't seem to be able to emotionally um, regulate herself, which is a really important thing that lots of us do. But plenty of us don't. And lots of us do it without thinking about it. But plenty of people don't. And those are the people that, you know, threaten to kill someone in open court. You know, she's like, <laughs> I wouldn't do it all the time. Just that one time when you killed my mama. So, <laughs> but um, I'm like, yeah, all this sounds about right. She does seem like she's older. She's having a hard time getting around. Um, the guy is talking about large things and she's like picking up, this happens later too, when the organizing expert is there, like the organizing expert, like, look at all this, we're cleaning this. And Carol's like picking up sequins off the ground, like being like, I want to keep this and putting it in her pocket, you know? So during the pre-interview with the expert, we also established that Dave and his sons have not been down in the basement for 20 years. Cause that's where like they say since the week, since the day or the week after their mother died, they have not been in that fucking basement. Carol can go down there. Carol ain't scared to go down there. That's where she go down to relive her crimes and stuff more shit. The basement's full to the top. Again, Carol killed that lady dude. Carol killed that fucking lady. So, you know, according to Carol, she left, because Dave had medical issues and couldn't stay in the house. 
And that's why she left, which is the lie. She left well before that. She lives with her son in a house that is not hoarded up. She pays rent there. You know, nobody's paying. Like, this is the other thing. This house was like, I'll talk about that more later. Let me, let me, let me wait till I get there. And, you know, so the cleanup crew shows up. It's paid and volunteers. The fire department, you know, because the um, Dave's are retired from the fire department. Kevin's a chief there. They're all there to help. Um, family volunteers and stuff. Let me tell you something. I can volunteer for a lot of things. This ain't going to be one of them. The idea of being in that home is hard. You know, Bunny loves this show. She calls it the cleanup show. She loves when I put it on. Because she likes to see how dirty it is and talk about how her house would never be like that. How, and she's like, why would they do this? Basically, she's everybody that watches this fucking show. And then she loves when they clean it up. She loves the reveal at the end when they've cleaned it up. And she's so happy. And she you know, she's nine. She reads fine. So she loves to read what happened to the people afterwards. And I've always said, this is how it starts. Bunny loves to come and watch dark shows with me. This is how it starts. I know, I me watching, I know my first name is Stephen with my mom. Me reading The Boy Called It right after my mom did. Me uh, picking up my mom's inquires and star magazines right after she was done with them. She'd be like, you want to read it? I'd be like in the third grade, like, yeah, I want to fucking read it. Give it to me. And so me watching soap operas right next to my mom being like, why did that lady sleep with that lady husband? <laughs> My mom loves to tell a story about how when I was like, this is before I started going to school, I saw this white lady with dark hair in a, like a dollar store or something like that. And I said, Erica Kane. <laughs> Cause I, I just knew that was fucking Erica Kane. I just fucking knew. <laughs> I just knew. So, but I like, you know, I, I, my mom would be like deeply interested in gossip and dark shit that was happening. And I'd be right next to her going, Ooh, let me look too. And so <laughs> that's how it starts. I was like, oh, I'm probably ruining bunny. I she was in the room. I was watching intervention. She walked the room. She goes, Ooh, what's this? And I go, no, 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 no. Bunny knows way too much about drugs already. Bunny will talk about drugs all fucking day. Like, she was, was telling me this long story, and I realized she was telling me how to cook heroin. Like, and even I, like, I don't know that much about how to do drugs, but I was like, is she talking about heroin in a fucking spoon? Is that what she's talking about? Like, she knows too much already. I don't need her going to school talking about it again. So, everybody's ready to do this shit. The house is full. Their goal is to get the stairway clear. They're going to do this for three days. The first is to get the stairway clear because if they can get the stairway clear, they can get to the second and third floors, which are also full. They ask Carol about it. She says, I'm not going to give my opinion because it doesn't matter. And, you know, the organization expert is really nice to Carol. She is talking to her in a way that makes it seem like she doesn't know that that lady killed B and got her house. That's the way she's talking to her. And I understand. Listen, 
You get more flies with sugar rather than shit. Actually, what is that? Honey? Rather than shit? No, flies love shit. What is the saying? Flies love shit. What are you talking about? Why would I need honey? I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, people say something about flies and what they mean is that you get more out of people when you're being nice to them. I agree with this. I am really good at getting people to do what I need them to do. I am an excellent manager of people. And I'm not just talking about my kids. I do it at work. I get people to work together and do things in ways that other people can't handle it. And I think what people get caught up in is that they want to punish the person. And people don't want to be around someone that wants to punish them. Instead, instead of thinking about punishment, think about clear boundaries. Think about how do you and I get from point A to point B? What do you need from me? If I do this, you'll do that. That sort of thing. And that's how you, and, and it works if you're not emotionally involved. So like Missy, the daughter-in-law and Kevin, like they don't talk to Carol like this, but the organization expert can because she's not emotionally involved. And what she knows from doing this type of work, I guess, is that you can't just show up and be like, looks like you fucked this shit up. We're going to take care. You have to get her buy-in for removing things and talk to her like she's a person. Coming and combative, like people don't, well, people do do what you want if you yell at them. But if you, if they don't do what you want in the first few minutes of you yelling at them, they're not going to. Like you, it's not like you get louder and they'll be like, oh, I'm really going to do it now. No, 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 no. If you've already yelled at each other and we've already been aggressive with each other and the thing you want hasn't happened, it's not going to. And also you've now boxed yourself in a corner because where do we go from here? I can't escalate at this because if I escalate too much, we're going to be in a fight and then I'm going to be in court. I can't like, and also you're not allowed to hit people. So like, I can't just scream at Carol until she does what I want or hit her if she won't. That doesn't get you anywhere. But making clear, making it clear that her opinion does matter because they've decided it does, that we're going to do this. We're all in this together. And I am going to check with you. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to do these things. If Carol feels like she is a part of it, she is more likely to not block your way. That's why the organization expert is being nice to her. I'm fuck Carol. Fuck Carol. I couldn't do it. But that's me. I couldn't even be there. As soon as y'all told me that shit was in there. You know, my Aunt Polly was a hoarder. Um, She's not actually my Aunt Polly. She's my mother's Aunt Polly, but... Um, I get, I guess families do like, like you would go, my great aunt Polly, but because my mom had me young and she, and I was, I'm this, I'm the third oldest grandchild. Um, and my mother's older than her sisters. A lot of, it felt like. I was, I was a part of this group. Like I call my aunts by their names. I don't call them aunt so-and-so, aunt Tara, aunt June. I don't do that. I call them June because that's the way I grew up calling them. My younger cousins call them aunt so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. Because when 
the first time I learned June's name, June was like fucking 17 years old. So I would call her that. My older brother grew up, grew up in that house with him. And I was also following him. I call my granddaddy Dede because that's what his daughters call him. I don't call him granddaddy. And so because of the that unique dynamic of the way of our family, I don't, when I'm talking about an aunt or uncle, it's my mother's aunt and uncle because that's the way I was taught to talk about them. So Aunt Polly is my, Aunt Polly is my mother's aunt. And growing up, sometimes we go over there. And after a while, we stop going. We just go less and less because it was very clear what was going on. And for a long time, she was able to keep her living room clear. So like you would have to get into her rooms to be like, oh, she got all this shit back here. But over the years, it just got worse and worse and worse. And I remember being like maybe 10 and we were visiting these relatives in that town, we didn't live there. And I'm in there and I talk to my dad and I tell him, I say, we're there visiting. And I say, I am thirsty. And my dad looks at me and goes, you are not thirsty here. And I was like, huh? He's like, you're not thirsty here. Basically shut the fuck up. We don't eat or drink out of here. <laughs> and I, I started to say something to him and he puts his hand on me and goes, I will buy you a soda when we leave here. And they didn't let me have soda. They didn't buy me soda. We weren't allowed to have, we weren't allowed to drink soda and shit. So like the fact that he's like being like, I'm going to get you a soda, bitch. I was like, oh, you really don't want to ask for a drink here. And later he stopped at the 7-Eleven. He was like, it's, it's too dirty in there. It's like, he's like, there's too many roaches and rats. And so he's like, because she has all that stuff. And so you can't eat out of there. And I was like, okay, whatever. Get me the soda that you said you're going to buy me. And so, and some candy too. And so, but like my mom said, I'll probably die a few years back, probably closer to 10 now. But my mom said that she would drop off food on the holidays. And, but at, she said that by the time, gosh, maybe 15 years ago, it just got to the point she wouldn't even let you in the house. Like she'd meet you at the door. And she'd only talk to you in the driveway. And it's just because it got worse and worse and worse. As a kid, being in Aunt Polly's house, I did not realize what I was looking at. And also, again, remember, the time I was spending there, her hoard was like in the back. So I never went in the back. I wasn't allowed back there. I just sat in the living room with my parents and, you know, let her ask me questions about my life or whatever. What grade are you in? What do you want to be? Like that, you know how people talk to fucking kids. They don't really talk to them. They just interview them and say, that's nice. And then move on. That's, that's all I had to do. And then be quiet while my parents are talking. Don't fight with your brothers. Sit down. Um, but my mom was just like, so like being there as a child is very different from now. Like now there's no way I could even enter like Carol's Horde. There's no way I could even go there. I would be itching. I would be, I would have all this anxiety. I couldn't go there at all. But, you know, all these people, I don't, I don't know how all these people got there, but they, they decided to go. They decided to help these volunteers. I hope they're all family members because I can't imagine being a random stranger being like, yeah, I'll come clean up this shit. No problem. So immediately after the 
organization expert tells her that. Like, I do care about your opinion. Carol just goes, I want to request that the third floor be left alone because I put everything I, everything is in the rooms it's supposed to be up there. It's fine up there. Don't worry about the third floor. And I feel like my request should be honored. And I'm like, which is it, Carol? You just told you your fucking opinion doesn't matter. And now you got requests. But the thing is, they got to do the third floor because the third floor is caving in. Under the, the ceilings are caving. They have to get some of that weight out of there. Again, this is an older house. You know what I mean? Like, even if they weren't hoarding this, this is the type of renovations that might have been done to it in the last few years because of it's just getting older. You know, so for the first several hours, Carol's holding up progress. At one point, she says, I don't think I should talk anymore because I don't think it's going to benefit me. But then keeps talking. Shut the fuck up, Carol. Shit. So then the, like, the cleaning expert wants to take 30 seconds of silence for B, right? She's like, I think this would be a thing. Not then, but like, it's part of the thing she said before he got started. I want to take 30 seconds of silence for B because I'm sure she's on a lot of people's minds here and we're in our home and we're going to do this. And people are crying. Missy and Kevin are crying. Again, like I said, Kevin was grown when B died. Like, I feel like her boys were on the older end. Like, he he might have been in his 20, like, early 20s or something. And the other boys were, like, 19 or, like, they're, they're still kids. But he was grown and married to Missy and had his daughter Mary. And so Missy knew, knew B, too. And they're crying and stuff. People are, like, all reverent and fucking... Carol's swiveling her head around, smiling and shit. Ugh. I hate her. I fuck staring into space, thinking about how she snipped a piece of B's hair off when she killed her. That's what's on the fucking third floor, guys. That's what's on the third floor. Souvenirs of her kills. This is the fucking serial killer. I know it. I know it in my heart. So on that first day, they take everything out of the stairway, stairwear, and they put it in the dump zones, which are tarps out in, because they've got this huge lawn. They move it. The, the goal is to get it out. And it's huge, but they get it out in like 30 minutes. And from there, they have to decide what to do with things. And so what the, the organization expert does is gets together a box of like trash. And she says this is a tester box. She always takes it over to talk to the person and, and kind of be like, this is the type of thing we want to throw away. What do you think? She brings it over to Carol. Of course she wants all this shit in the trash box. Literal trash. It's like ripped up paper and shit. And she's like, no, no, no. I want that. I want to look at this. I want that. Ooh, I need it. You know, she's getting ripped up shoes out. Like she's going to start wearing them. So... When they're done with the staircase, they take Carol in to see the progress. She can't even she can't even see it. It it looks like night and day for that staircase. Just for like thirty minutes to an hour, that's like a big deal. She's trying to pick up sequins off the ground, cards off the floor to put them in her pocket. Just the stairs with two tarps full, and Carol moves from the porch to the lawn so she can be closer to the shit, so she can basically be like, "What's happening?" She keeps almost threatening the, the organization expert, which kudos to that expert for like keeping her cool 
Because I know I would turn around and be like, Carol, you got one more time. You got one more again to t- fucking tell me. <laughs> but she's like, because the, the, the expert's like, I just want to make sure you're okay with this. Are you okay if we do this? And Carol will be like, I'm okay with it. Or if I wasn't, you know about it. Or believe you me. If I had a problem, you'd know. And then, and it doesn't help that the editors of Hoarders are playing like vicious music underneath it, like threatening music underneath it. I just don't, like Carol, shut up. Shut up, Carol. So the day is going on, they're making progress. Carol is trying, still trying to keep things and being combative. The hoarding expert says that he thinks that Carol thinks nobody cares about her. That they care about the house and they care about Dave, but she's just here as a formality. I mean, that's because you're a bitch, Carol. But she's not wrong. Like, it feels like they want this house to be cleaned out. And they want Dave to be happy. But they don't care how Carol feels. And what I would say to that, Carol, is ask yourself why that is. What is your part in that? Why are you so unpleasant? Not only did you kill their mother, even though they won't, they, they act like they don't know that. But at the very least, you came in, you were controlling of Dave, you like basically took all his money. He has nothing now. And then like moved on with yourself and left them with this big mess to clean. Would you not feel similarly? So halfway through the episode, they're like four, they've gotten 400 bags of stuff. They just cleaned the stairs to the front and the back. The entire dumpster is empty because Carol won't let them throw anything away. Because remember, they're taking things out of the house, they're putting it in a dump zone, and then they're throwing things away. And the expert just doesn't think it's going to happen. So on the second day, they have teams on the second and third floor, but they're focusing on the first floor because that's where Dave will be. There is an unconscionable amount of rat shit, Okay. Just because rats are everywhere. So one of the reasons that I get so upset when people don't pick up their dog poop is because it attracts rats and rats carry disease. Wild rats carry disease or they are good disease conductors. So like I live on a corner and the only thing since becoming a homeowner that I really get upset about when it comes to neighbors is how people will walk past my house and let their dog shit in my yard. Like huge shits like one time I was like what kind of animal did this there are three boulders of shit in my yard and then keep it moving and I find that to be like one of the most inconsiderate things because even before I had dogs I'm like so you I don't even own a dog you want me to clean up your dog shit like if you want your dog to free shit why don't you do that at your house just put them in your backyard and let them shit everywhere fortunately I have children and one of them's job is to clean is to take care of the yard and so people leave trash in my yard trash blows in my yard people park alongside my yard throw things that somebody once threw a bottle of piss in my yard because there was construction going on and sometimes the the trucks would park alongside the long side of my house and i'm assuming one of them pissed in a bottle and just threw it in my yard like this bothers me immensely But the dog shit stuff, so we have like a trash grabber, so nobody has to touch anything. 
and they they just pick up trash and we have a pooper scooper thing and they that's part of their chore like every three days one of them goes out there and like gets any trash that's blown in their yard or was thrown in their yard or left there and any poop out there but dog poop attracts rat dropping rats who and rats are conduits for disease so there's so much ratchet in there and and kevin has made an executive decision that upholstered items need to go in the trash because it's just infested with rat poop and this is how you get sick like this is a a biohazard actually it's not like a couple of mice and a couple of droppings it is so much guys so carol gets upset she's like why are you throwing away that furniture nobody asked me nobody asked me nobody asked me and you know she's having a pity party about it she's saying she doesn't have a say they all you know want b there instead of her which is true and if b was there this would never have happened this is also probably true. But you got to live with that, Carol. This is true, though. Carol, okay. I know Carol killed B. But the official story is that B killed herself. Fine. And so if that's the, if, 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 when you're looking at it that way, Carol is like, it's not my fault, it's not my fault. But it may not be your fault she died. It is her fault. It is her fault. She killed her. It may not be your fault she died, but it is your fault that this house looks this way. It is your fault. Now, I also want to talk about Dave for a minute here. You guys know, I hate when we dog power women and be like, she did this and she did that. Like women can be wrong and women are in the wrong and should be called out. But when you are calling out a woman and piling on them in the service of a man, you should really be careful because a lot of times what is driving that dog pile is not necessarily um, anything about what this woman has done and more about the misogyny, not the calling out. Like you can say you've done a wrong thing, but the way people viciously call people out and dog pile on them are like, eh, I hope you die. This, a lot of that's misogyny. That's what it is. Internalized misogyny, externalized misogyny, causing you to believe that what you need to do is send death threats to this woman because in the service of something that happened with a man. Right now, this Olivia Wilde stuff that's happening, like, listen, don't get, don't let me be on recorded defending a white woman, okay? But I'm sure Olivia Wilde is a piece of shit, guys. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm sure of that. I would not be surprised. I would not be like, oh no, Olivia Wilde. Eh, couldn't believe of that. But you have to know that at least, I don't know, at least 40% of the hate she is receiving right now is because people do not like that she somehow is sleeping with Harry Styles and they aren't. Because they think that if Olivia Wilde wasn't, they could. And that she just got, she's in a contentious divorce. <laughs> she's in a contentious divorce with a man that just started playing one of the most beloved characters in pop culture. People think Jason Sudeikis is Ted Lasso. He is not. 
also, if you haven't watched Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso is also going through a divorce with a child and then he misses terribly and all this. And like, a lot of people can't tell the difference between fiction and reality. And so, whereas the stuff that's been coming out about Olivia doesn't look great, the way people want her to be punished and want to dogpile on her and want to and are talking about her has more to do with the way they want to defend these men. It has more to do with how they feel about these men in service of these men, even in service of Shia LaBeouf, who. That's all I got to say about Shia. The way, so that video that she sent to Shia and the way she's talking to Shia and the way she's talking to Flo, Flo, Miss Flo, just the way she's talking to Florence Pugh and the fact that she's not very, mm, how can I say this? Uh, she's, she's basically telling each one of them what they want to hear. Guys, have you never managed anybody ever? Have you, like, this is not nice. This is not like the most truthful, but like you absolutely, if you're trying to get this done, you absolutely call Shia and you cater to his ego and you say this and you say that. You absolutely, Florence, and you say what you need to say there. You find ways to compromise. Now, obviously, you don't do any of this on video, you dumb bitch. <laughs> Never. I wouldn't even do it on a fucking text message. I would call and be like, listen, Shia. Can you come back to set? You know, listen, I, I think Florence is stupid too. You know what? You know what? You know what? You know what? We'll just keep her in her trailer. When she's being stupid, you look at me. And I look at you and we be like, we know what we talking about. Okay. Okay. Then I go to Florence. Florence. I cannot stand Shia LaBeouf. His name is stupid. And, um, he's ridiculous. And, um, I gave him a talking to. I certainly did. Like, that is what, she's doing that. That's what she's fucking doing. Now, the lies. Yeah, she's a fucking liar. <laughs> she's a fucking liar. Being like, I uh, I had to let Shia go because uh, I got a no assholes rule. Fucking liar. She's a liar. And she should be called out for that stuff. And the fact that you didn't let him go as soon, like, as soon as this shit came out that he's been doing, like, come on. And he is an asshole. And he's horrible on set. Apparently, I've never been on set with him, but apparently that's what he is. And he terrorizes everybody. And he's always talking and telling wild stories of killing him. Like, I personally would have never hired the motherfucker. That's me. And I, and as soon as people were like, listen, Shia is down at Crafty. Uh, talking about how he once choked a baby to see if he'd kill it. I would have been like, oh, no, 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 no. Somebody call some agents. Like, we need to get the agents on the phone because we need to... He needs to go. <laughs> like, that's how I would handle myself. But in terms of her being like two-faced in order to manage these managed people, yeah. That shocking. Shocking. It's fine to call her out, but a lot of the vitriol that's added to this has a lot to do with misogyny. And it has a lot to do with like my favorite character. The man that I that I love, the character I love, 
is played by your ex-husband and I can't tell the difference between those two people. And so whatever he said you did, you definitely did because Ted Lasso wouldn't do that. I I have had a crush on Harry Styles since before I ever got my period. So, and how dare you be fucking him? Somebody, I was listening to something. Somebody was like, she's a groomer because she's 10 years older than, um. she's 10 years older than Harry. Harry's 28, baby, 29. That's not grooming. I don't know how appropriate it is. But I don't know. Maybe Olivia is incredibly fucking immature. I don't fucking know. But like the fact that that that, that we're okay, that Florence Pugh was just with, wasn't she just with Zach Graff? Zach Braff, excuse me. Wasn't she just with that man? So, okay. Nobody, well, some of us would call it, but, but like the fact that, that people are so willing to be like, no, killer, burner, a lot of that's due misogyny. And so even though it's fuck Carol all motherfucking day, the fact is we need to talk about Dave's personal responsibility. Dave moved her in 48 hours after his, his wife died. Dave married her 18 months later and alienated his family. Dave was fine with his family not being able to come into his home and being pushed away all those years. Dave allowed, Dave played a part in her draining finances. Dave played a part in her refinancing houses and doing things financially, financially basically abusing the situation. There are things that Dave did that helped the situation along, okay? I'm not saying that this is not, that this is now Dave's fault and Dave should be, if Dave is being financially abused, it's his fault. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that we're not going to pretend like all this happened and Dave had not, had, did nothing. We're not going to pretend like she locked Dave in the basement for 20 years and has been doing this on her own. Dave has been participating. The re, his reasonings behind it, that we can talk about that. But the fact is he has, I think Dave, I, I can, I can say I know Dave is an old school dude in that they got married when they were like fucking 19 years old, 19, 20 years old, literally do not know how to live without a spouse. Older men do this all the time where they get divorced or they get, or they get widowed and are married like a year later because they literally need someone to make dinner for them. They literally need someone to make to make plans with their social social plans with for them. Like they don't have friends. They have their wife setting up like almost play dates with other couples. They actually don't know how what to do on your kids' birthdays. They only know that on the birthday the mom says do this and that's what we do. That's that that's essentially what I'm talking about. He seems to be that sort of guy that has been socialized to be this way, that is essentially helpless without a partner. And so I can understand Carol was already there. And if you believe my fan fiction, he was already fucking her. So it just made sense. And then when you're in immense grief, I also... I don't think people even understand 
what it's like to grieve a life partner. I don't even understand. I haven't been through that. And what, how you get through it is how you fucking get through it. And so like, to me, being married to, to Carol 18 months later is not the worst thing in the world. Allowing Carol's actions to separate you from your sons and your grandchildren and to place this wedge in your life so you don't have to be alone is a problem for me. That is a crime for me. That is where you, you fucked up. And then once you've pushed all those people away, Carol is hoarding, Carol's doing all this stuff. Who do you have to even talk to about it? You've been in a fight with your sons for years at this point. And it's, and again, like I said, he's the type of man where his whole social calendar, his whole, like all his relationships revolve around his wife, family, her relationships. Like there's so many men like this. And also they keep saying your husband's house, your husband's house, your husband's house. When Carol and Dave got married, it's their house. It's now their house. When Carol and Dave got, why was Carol able to refinance the house? Probably because she was on the house. Because she's married to Dave. I got a fucking feeling the house might have even been fucking paid off. And that is a goddamn shame. That's a motherfucking shame. So it was easy to put her on the deed and stuff. Yeah, like, you know, fuck Carol all day. But I always want to examine where misogyny, internalized misogyny is creeping into my shit. The way, to, the way we talk about things. Why is this so bad? Why, why is it important that we keep saying your husband's house, your husband's house, your husband's house? What does that even mean? Like I love, I, you know, you know, it's important that we examine those things and please don't mistake me saying I'm the fucking defending Olivia Wilde. I'm really not. I do think she's a liar. I do think she said what she wanted. She got in that interview and was like, yeah, I had to fire him. And that's not what happened. I do think she was two-faced with her crew. I, I've, I've heard that like Florence was like, you know, really annoyed with the fact that like Harry made a lot more money than she did. And that also like Olivia and Harry are falling in love on the fucking set and shit. Like that would annoy the fuck out of me too. And also Harry's not a good actor. I'm sorry. He's not. And so you're trying to act. You're trying to do your job. You're excited to be on this film. And now the director is fucking this boy toy who is like really bad at his job, who also got paid a lot more money than you did. I wouldn't promote this shit either. Okay. And keep him. The last time you went down to crafty Shire LaBeouf was down there choking a puppy. Like what the fuck? Like, I can understand. I under-fucking-stand. And I don't think Olivia Wilde's a good person. And I know she's a liar. I mean, it's been proven she's a liar. But the way people are so excited about it, let's examine why that is. Let's talk about it. Um, and if you examine why that is and you're like, oh, shit, I really did fall into this trap. doesn't make you a bad person. The point is that you ask yourself, why is it that I feel this way? Why is it that I'm saying it this way? Why is it that when this happens, I always think this? 
It's important that you ask yourself. All right, so that's as much introspection I'm gonna be doing on Carol, okay? Fuck her, motherfucker. Anyway. <laughs> what if this was someone's first podcast? Listen to I never like. What the fuck is going on over there? <laughs> so, where was I? Mm, so, it's the second day. Um, Kevin's mad. Oh, why is Kevin mad? Because Carol's taking things from the trash and trying to keep it. She's like everywhere she's sitting, she's making mini hordes around herself. Um, she's holding up progress. Her daughter-in-law tries to come and take some of it. She's like, what is this? What is that? Take this. And I almost feel like production told her to go do that. And Carol screams, don't you touch it or I'll slap your face off. I was like, oh, Carol. Did you kill B with that mouth? Anyway, <laughs> get out of my face. Kevin goes comes over and is like, listen, don't be talking to my wife like that. Don't be talking to her. I'll come in. I'll come and get like the, what's he call it? The Bobcats, which is those, the Bobcats are the little ones, the little construction vehicles that like, you can like, why am I, why am I doing gestures? Like y'all can fucking see me. Um, you can kind of scoop trap things up, like lots of things, and just throw it in. He's like, I'll call the Bobcats, and I'll, we'll just we'll just throw all this shit out. And at this point, he's really mad. He's throwing shit out behind. Like, he's pissed. This is when Mary shows up. Mary is Kevin's daughter. Mary, Mary is Kevin and Missy's daughter. And she's the baby that he just had when his mother died. That he talked about, like, how hard it is that he, he you know, he needed her. He needed her then. And Mary's daughter is, um, I don't know, she's mask looking. She has a very short, like, crew cut. Um, she's on the larger side. Um, I think she's turning 21. Um, just to get an idea of what she looks like. Like, I know a million girls like her. I, like, in my early 20s, I hung out with girls like her all the fucking time. And... I'm assuming, you know, well, you know what happens when you assume things, but from the context clues, my assumption is that Mary is queer in some way and that, um, I could tell she was very young. She's got a super little baby face, you know? Um, so, you know, she comes up in her trucker hat and her, and her flannel or whatever, and she's really good with, with Carol. Carol's the only grandmother she's ever known because her her grandmother died and she talks nicely to her and she's able to to get Carol to move. She's able to get Carol to throw things away. She's able to get Carol to make agreements. She you know the the organization expert even comes over and is like, "Is everything okay here? You shouldn't throw away things." And Mary's like, "I wouldn't throw away anything unless I talked to Carol first. Carol said this was okay and just talking, as soon as Mary enters the picture, Carol's like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. I don't want to fight. Yeah. Go ahead. Throw that away. We don't need that. Let's do this. Like, I wonder what Carol's relationship was to Mary when Mary was born. Because B was still alive and they were still like thick as thieves. And I wonder if over the years, Carol has had a very soft spot for Mary always. I wonder. Oh, well, I feel like I can tell. You know, she's talking to her like she's a toddler. 
And she's not letting sporty words deter her. This is how you deal with children and how you deal with difficult people. It literally doesn't matter what they say as long as they do what you want. So when they're like, I don't feel like doing it. You'd be like, girl, I don't feel like doing it either. This is, this is, I don't like this. We should be a Dairy Queen or something. We can get to Dairy Queen if we like throw this shit away. <laughs> you want to throw this away? Like, and it's, it's something that Mr. Curtis doesn't understand and we're, currently in a little friction right now because he wants children who are in the middle of tantrums and who are in the middle of emotional to just like be like okay father I will do what the thing you said me to do and me I know I can't talk to you when you're like that so I literally don't care what happens as long as you take yourself to your room and breathe calm yourself down work on calming yourself down do not throw anything do not hit anything calm when you're calm let's talk and he thinks that the tantrum that by yelling during the tantrum it's going to be fixed and I don't think that's true I know that's not true you know the other day I wanted Bear Bear to do something he didn't want to do it so he was procrastinating and then he was like trying to do other things to the point where I finally had to stop him like I I try not to cut my kids off like I let them talk because I remember being a kid and people wouldn't let me just talk because sometimes I was right and I was asking questions I wasn't being sassy I just I'm a human being I'm talking so I he was talking and it just got to the point where I was like bear bear I just like I don't care about that I don't care about that thing that you're talking about right now I listen to you I know what you're talking about I don't care about that it doesn't matter what I want is for you to go in your room and he was really upset and he was like eh, and then ran off into his room and I gave him like 10 minutes or something. And then I went in his room and I walked in there. And the first thing, he's sitting on his little bed. He's not crying anymore. He's not yelling. And he goes, I'm sorry I yelled at you, mommy. And I said, it's okay. It's okay. Sometimes sometimes we let our feelings get the best of us. But we still have to do X, Y, and Z. And we're going to do those things. So get moving. And then he did them. And... If he had thrown something or broken something, I would have dealt with the consequence of there. If he had done something like hit another child or knock something over as he ran to his room, I would deal with the consequence after we're all calm. Chasing him in his room to tell him he better never eh, at me again is not going to do shit. Because one, once I get there, what am I going to do? What if he's still eh, yelling then? What do you want me to do? Choke him? What do you want me to do then? Throw them out the window. Like, what? where is this? We you're, we boxed ourselves in. There's nothing else to do. So instead of chasing him in there, while he's in this fuck, while he's in this state where he is so upset he can't hear shit because he's mad, because he's upset, because he doesn't want to do this thing I don't want to do. Instead of doing that, I asked my kids to calm down. Self-regulate. Get in a space where we can talk. I ask myself to do the same thing. They know that. There have been times I've been very angry and I've had to say, I got to go to timeout, guys. I need to take a second. I'm going to go in my room. Give me 10 minutes. And they're always like, we understand. As long as everybody's safe, I can take 10 minutes. And then I get myself together. I know what I'm going to say. I'm not going to say some shit that I don't mean. I'm not going to throw out some punishments I can't fucking enforce and ultimately make myself look weak in the end because I couldn't enforce the shit I told you. Instead, I got a clear idea. And now I can come out here and be very clear about what the problem is and what I expect to happen and when I expect it to happen.
This is how you talk to people. All people. Mr. Curtis doesn't understand this. It angers him when they do this stuff. And I get it. It angers me too. But at the end of the day, my shit got done. At the end of the day, he did exactly what I wanted him to do. 10 minutes later. And I also shaved 15 minutes off his bedtime as a consequence for all this this acting out. He got a consequence. He did what I wanted. Nobody's hurt. Nobody had to hit anybody. Nobody was screaming. Well, maybe Bear Bear was. And he was able to figure out, he was able to calm himself down and figure out that he needed to apologize when he saw me because I modeled the same behavior to him. <laughs> I apologize if I start yelling. I apologize if I say something to somebody and I was being rude. <laughs> so he knows that this is what you do if you made a mistake. I didn't have to ask him what he did wrong. He already knew. He knew what to do. And we got there. I call that a win. Now, Mr. Curtis, as far as I'm concerned, can be chasing him down the hallway, mad about this, angry about that. Now everybody's crying. Seven o'clock in the fucking morning. Whole house is fucking crying. The shit isn't done. There's chaos and people are yelling. And you didn't get what you needed. Nobody got what they needed. And I call that a not win, also known as a fail. We just have a difference of opinions about things. And we're going to have to figure out, we're going to have to come come to Jesus. I've been talking about Jesus a lot. Um, we have to come to him and we're going to have to like figure this out. Um, is Jesus a mediator? Is that in the Bible? I don't know what's in the Bible. Does he be mediating people? I thought it was King Solomon. Was he the one that was going to cut that baby in half? And then he was like, ooh, you didn't want to cut the baby in half? That's your baby. Go ahead and have it. Wasn't he the one? I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Mary understands this as well. It really doesn't matter what you say as long as you do what I want. Um, at one point, the daughter-in-law confronts Carol. She says she needs to confront Carol. And she wants Carol to take some responsibility. She says it's been two years of them trying to clamp this house kevin's had back surgery during that time dave's health has has gone worse and worse they found cars that she's bought they found storage units full of shit they found two other houses that carol was paying for out of this household account with dave not knowing again this is important dave should know you guys are married if this is your money why are you lying about where this money is going? Dave had no fucking idea. You're stifling money. You're transferring money to other bank accounts to keep it from Dave. Dave has nothing. Carol is like, why don't you write everything you're upset about and I'll read it over. And the fact that Missy didn't punch her, knock her fucking clock. <laughs> punch her clock at that moment. Missy, you must be also working on being a better person. So, essentially, Missy says, Carol inf infiltrated the family from the get-go to get her hands on the house and the money. Because again, Missy knew them before Carol was there. And maybe not even before Carol was there, but she knew them before Carol was in this family. And she says, I want you to take responsibility. I want you to take responsibility. You never take responsibility. Now, 
everything Missy's saying is right. I would be majorly pissed about this shit. However, Carol does take responsibility. All she says is it's my fault, it's my fault, it's my fault. That said, I can also see what they're talking about. Because you guys remember when, um, you guys remember that reunion of Atlanta when Nene was like, sure, it's my fault. Blame me. Mm-hmm. I did it. I did it. It's the one where she's in the white and she's, and she's all like, why am I in it? Why I gotta be in it? That right there, she's talking real soft. And every time someone says she did something, she goes, mm, I did do that. I'm sorry. Like she in one way is taking responsibility, but in another way is just really like, basically just like being like, whatever to them. And maybe that's what they're feeling. Maybe because Carol keeps saying, it's my fault. I'm the bad guy. I'm the bad guy. I'm the bad guy. I'm the bad guy. They're like, she's not taking responsibility. She's just trying to down. She's just trying to get me to stop talking. So I can understand that. But she is, she really is. She She's not blaming anyone but herself. Mary comes in during that time and talks about how she's never met B. She only knows Carol. And she she and she hears she's heard these stories about this house and how great this house is all her life, but she never was allowed to come here. Never let allowed to set foot through the doors. And that B had meant for Mary to have her vintage car when she was twenty when she on her twenty first birthday, and that Carol sold it. To buy shit. And that is terrible. The fact that Mary has been talking so nicely to Carol. I was like, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know. I don't know if I could be unemotional enough to, to do it. This woman has caused so much trouble in my family. It's all I've known growing up. I'm looking at my grandfather over there. Ill. Small. Frail. And I'm thinking about how you just left him in here. And what about your business? I I don't know how, like, I don't even know these fucking people. And I'm so angry. I cannot understand how Mary is able to see past that, be unemotional, and just focus on the task at hand. Kudos to her. She's fucking 21 years old, too. Like, she's a baby. And she's able to do it. Like, my hat's off to Mary. At this point, the cleaners bring in a fossilized rat that they found in the kitchen. It died. It dried out. It's fossilized. <sighs> Gross. And they showed it to Carol. And she's like, oh, okay. And at this point, Carol is agreeing that the furniture, the mattresses, the clothing should go. Because it's all infested with rat shit. And that's ruined. She's crying over a basket, though. And there are another nine rooms to go in a full basement. Day three, they are moving. They're they're doing the best they can. They're clearing that shit out. And they clean out the whole first floor, which is important. They're working on the second and third floor still. Missy comes over and talks more about taking responsibility. And now I know what she's talking about with responsibility. We need $3,200 by April 14th to come up with for that second mortgage. She's not talking about, say you did it, now fix it. She's so right. Taking responsibility isn't just being like, oh, it was me. Now what are you going to do about it? 
So she's like, I need $3,200 for the 14th. So Kevin and Missy have been supplementing because I think Dave's just got like a pension. Maybe Social Security as well. I know there are rules about what you can get and have to also pick up Social Security. So it's quite possible he doesn't get it. But um, savings and a pension is all he's living on and she cleared out his savings. So... Um, you know, she's asking, can you pay for that? And Carol's like, no, I can't. And Missy's like, why not? And she's like, well, I have to, you know, I have to pay my rent on the house me and my son live in. And they're all like really mad about that. Like, that's the wrong thing to fucking say, Carol, because that's part of the fucking problem. And they're like, I thought you were going to move back in here and use your social security to put towards this house. And Carol's like, no. I never intended to come back over here. Everyone's shocked. I'm not shocked. I thought Carol was gone. I thought she was. That's why I'm shocked that she's. I'm shocked she's there. Because I thought Carol flew the coop. I would have been getting a divorce from Carol. I, me and my daddy would have been down at the fucking courthouse. Filling out paperwork. That's what we would have been having to do. Like. And like I said, Carol better never see me in the streets. So. <laughs> and I have to leave my daddy on that fucking dirty on that dirty uh, couch, sick and unable to move and all frail and, and and needing help with no place to go to the fucking bathroom and no place to, and if something happened, no way to get out the fucking house. Oof. The city inspector is coming by again and Carol's still worried about her mini hoard. Also, it's really important to get down to the basement because the city inspector really wants that cleared. That's like... It's part of the fire hazard um, issue. Like being able to move in and out to get like travel through the house is one. Getting to exits is, is another. And then that basement. So they really need to do that. Um, you know, they take Kevin, his brother Dave, down to the basement. And they haven't been in there in 20 years. It's filled to the top with shit. They have to climb over so much shit just to get to the spot where their mother died. Once the boys confront that, they talk about how angry they are, how they haven't been here, and all the feelings it makes them feel. They start to clean out the basement. Organizers are cleaning out the fridge. Um, The fire department volunteers are ripping up the carpets because Kevin wants the carpets to go because they, again, this is a biohazard. They are infested with rat urine and droppings. The dumpsters are piling up. Progress is being made. Mary is able to help Carol go through more stuff. It is incredible how Mary, how Carol is refusing to make decisions on stuff. And Mary just walks her through these tarps and is like making good decisions, making good suggestions to her, saying things like, what if we just try to limit to keep one or two things from each tarp? What if we just like make that a rule for ourselves? What about this? And she's also doing something that I do with my kids, especially when they are... Not we're doing hard things and they're upset. And like she tells, she makes Mary give her a pound every time they make a decision as a celebration. And like at one point, Mary doesn't like do it. She's like, no, it doesn't, it doesn't count unless you do the pound. Like small things like that. Take your mind off of things. Like my husband will be yelling in the morning when the kids are getting ready. And I about what they haven't done. And my thing is that I don't have to yell about what they haven't done. I 
start talking nice and praising people on what they have done. And all it takes is me being like, Bear Bear, I see you made up your bed. Go ahead, boy. High five. You ready? You ready? Oh, you ready? for school? Like just talking to him like that. And Monkey, who has not made his bed and doesn't want to make his bed, is like, she ain't said that to me. She didn't tell me I was doing a good job. She didn't give me a high five. Suddenly he's over there fucking making the bed. I am praising people for making progress. We're really working on monkey lying. Monkey's doing great. He hasn't taken anything from school or from like another kid in a long time. Not a long time, but since school started and they start school in the middle of July. He is doing great. He used to like freeze up, which is really annoying and start crying when you like, were like, what is going on? And he would not like talk with you. He's doing great at being like, I'm like, what happened here? Who did this? And him being like, it was me, mommy. I was doing this and this and this. And then this happened. That's great. And when he does that, I say, thank you. Thank you for telling me. Because I wanted to know what's going on. Because I hate when I have to stand here and I don't know what's happening. Thank you. That's a small step. And I know it's hard for people. They're like, why am I thanking him for doing the bare fucking minimum? Because I am giving him positive reinforcement for what I want him to do. I am making a big deal about the thing I want him to do. So next time when he wants a little shot of something good, he's going to do this. So the next time I don't have to chase around the house to find out who was in the fucking paint. I want him to show up to me and be like, I made a mistake. I was in the paint. So I can be like, you know, you're not supposed to be in the paint. We need to clean this up. You need to get working on it because you made this mistake. You need to clean it up. And maybe at a consequence, depends on how big it is. The thing is, but so I'm thanking them for that. I, so instead of walking down the hallways in the morning going, you didn't do this. You better do this. You didn't do this. I'm walking down the hallways going, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see that you, I see that you are all dressed and you check yourself in the mirror. So none of your clothes are on backwards. Thank you. Thank you. It is a small thing, but it changes everything. It changes tone. It changes how they feel about the way you're correcting them. Because I'm not correcting. I'm not saying, well, how dare you? You're a piece of shit because you didn't do what I wanted you to do. I'm saying, I told you what I wanted to do. Now you did it. Thank you. Even if it took you a long time. Even if I had to redirect you a few times to do it. Once you're done, what happens a lot of times is once they do it, you don't want to say anything to them, right? Because you're like, oh my God, it took you 30 minutes to put those fucking shoes on. That's bullshit. So when they put the shoes on, you're like, finally, and you walk away. No. Instead, you go, thank you. Your shoes are on. Thank you so much. You're ready to go. We can stop worrying about this right now and move forward. Praise. On, we're emphasizing goodness. And that, and that also has to do with self-esteem. If you're constantly being told what you're doing wrong and how you should have been able to get this by now and how this is ridiculous, your self-esteem like picks up on that. And then once you're low enough, it kind of doesn't fucking matter, right? Because you're a terrible person. And because I know because every five minutes someone's yelling at me. Why would I want to try this? Why would I want to even try? Well, my kids are whining because they're like, I don't want to fold, I don't know how to fold up this blanket. I don't know how to do this math. I don't know how to do whatever. Instead of being like, you're being a baby. You're wasting my time. Those words, right? 
Because that's what you think, right? That's what I would think. I'd be like, why are you wasting my time? Why are you making things harder for me? Why are you adding something to me? Instead, what I say is, I wouldn't ask you to do anything you couldn't do. I, I know you can do hard things. You are you are fucking awesome and you can do really hard things. And I believe in you. So I'm going to give you a chance to do it. And then I leave. And a lot of times they work the shit out. Or if they don't work it out, when I come back, they are in the midst of trying. And I'll be like, hey, how, how are we doing with this? I'm trying, but I'm doing this and this and this. Oh, I know how to do that. You do this. You flip it like this. And I'm like, oh. And I'm like, yeah. You just didn't know. Now you know. Now you remember that. And it's about building confidence. And, uh, and also about me saying, I'm on your side. I'm rooting for you. I only want good things for... I was at the, I took the kids at the bus stop today. And I was like, I don't know if you know this. I love saying yes. I love saying yes. That's not true. I love to say no. All my life, I've been, I've loved to say no. I love the right denied on things. I loved, so I was lying. But still, the thing I'm trying to express is that when I get to say yes to my kids, it's so much easier for me. It's so much easier for me to be like, yeah, play with your iPad as much as you want. Yeah, let's have some ice cream. Of course, let's go to the park together. It's so much, I love being able to do that. I don't want, it's a drag for me to be like, actually, you have to stay in your room because you did this, this, and this. And now you're upset. I'm not too happy because I have to keep coming back and being like, you know, I have to keep managing the situation. It would be so much easier if I was like, you just had a great day. Good job. Here's a cookie. That's easier for me and more fun for me. And so we were talking about this morning. I was like, I am rooting for you. I am on your side, guys. All I want is for the is for you guys to be able to do the things you want and get to the places that you want to be. I'm just trying to show you when I'm telling you, you should try this, this, and this. It's only out of goodness because I only want to see you shine and succeed. I believe in all of you. I was talking to them this morning and then we were talking about individual things that they're each trying to work on. And I was like, I know you can do it. I know you can do it. Cheeks wants a phone. He's not supposed to get a phone to the end of the fifth grade, but he's been doing so well. But then he's had some few steps back and I really want to be able to give him a phone at Christmas, but I need to see a certain level of maturity. And he knows that the phone's already in the house because it's his dad's old phone. And my husband only buys the most expensive things. So it's a pro, it's a pro max, it's an iPhone pro max. And he can easily have it, no problem. But I need to see maturity. There are a few things I need to see. And so I'm, I want to be a coach. We're on the same team. When you win, I win. So I only want you to win. I am never invested in you failing. I am never happy to see you failing. I only am happy to see you winning. So then when I show up and I'm like, listen, um, I know you say you keep, you keep telling me you clean this room, but we know that pajamas get folded at the end of the bed. We know that our extra blanket gets folded and goes here. And we know that we always look under the bed and we do these things. I want you to have a clean room too. And I also want you to be able to go play. Because I know you want to and I want to see you happy. Your happiness is really fucking important to me. So now when I'm giving you like. When I'm telling you like. Oh do this and do that. Um, you know. I'm only saying that. Because I want you to win. And I'm so fucking happy for you to win. Once you trust me that way. The stuff, the corrections I give you, the advice I give you, even when I'm like, 
you know, please don't do that again. Because this, this, and this happens. You believe me, right? Because you trust me. Because all I do is congratulate you when you win. Tell you things to help you win. I'm happy to see you. I'm invested in your success. You know that because of the way you've experienced with me. So now when I fucking tell you things, it's not because, oh, you're a piece of shit and you've done something wrong again. It's because, yo, my mom wouldn't tell me some shit that wasn't true. My mom only wants to do this because of this and this. Now, does that mean that they always act rationally? Fuck no. Nobody does. We're all feral animals that somehow figured out how to make these thumbs opposable and think we're in charge of everything. We're all terrible, okay? But it's so much easier for me to get my kids to get to do stuff than it is for my husband to get them to do it. It's so much, they're so much happier to see me. Even when I'm not getting them ready in the morning, because I usually don't. If they see me walk through the hall, and I see that monkey's putting on his shoes over there and, and he's got his socks on right and he's got all this stuff and I will just throw him a fucking thumbs up and do a little dance like, yeah, I see you, I see you. He will be, his face will light up because he knows I'm fucking rooting for him. I'm off topic. My kids are about to get home. I need to finish this. <laughs> I apologize. I just know, I'm just really passionate about that, that we don't have to have a relationship in which we think our parents are constantly criticizing us, that they don't care about what we want, that all they care about is they want, they can't listen to us, and they just think that we're like pieces of shit all the time, that they don't trust us, that they look at us suspiciously, that they don't give us a chance. Yesterday, Bunny was lying about something. It sounded like a lie. I knew it was a lie. When she was done saying, I said, Bunny, I said, you know what? That doesn't sound true. So I'm going to give you a little time to think about whether or not you want to be saying that. Because you know I can text the teacher. The teacher will text me right back. So get yourself to together. Just think about it. We don't have to talk about it right now. Two seconds later, she was like, actually, I don't want to be saying that because that is not true. That's not what happened. Sorry. I don't even know why I said that. I don't want to be lying. It's done. She's self-correcting. She's, she, <laughs> I could have said. What is that? I listen to that <laughs> I could have said, um, yo, why the fuck are you lying to me again? I fucking told you about lying. You know, if you lie, nobody will fucking believe you. I'm so sick and tired of this shit. I could have said that. What would that have gotten me? Yeah. First of all, I'm cursing. I'm cursing at them. They know I curse. But like, hey, you fucker. That's not how I talk to my fucking kids. You want a motherfucking sandwich? That's not how I talk to them. Uh, I'm... I'm never like with my face and they're going like, you little shit. I'm never like that. So first of all, I'm cussing at you. Second of all, I've just basically said, I don't believe shit you say. I've downgraded you. Like I told you what I think about you, which ain't good. And then I didn't give you a chance. I didn't give you a chance. I I didn't acknowledge you're, you're trying to do better. Anyway, I'm just very passionate about this shit. And it fucking works, guys. It fucking works. Not, it's not a magic bullet, but the shit works. There is a reason of, I hate to toot my own horn. I hate it. There's a reason caseworkers will be lying trying to get kids in my home. There is a reason kids would improve with me. There is a reason that I have five fucking kids 
And I do shit like take them to restaurants and they're calm. I they, they clean. They do what I ask them to do. That I'm in here fucking tweeting something and a child is leaning in going, I'm going to do my chore and then I'm going to, and then I'm going to get my clothes for school tomorrow and then I'm going to watch TV just so you know. There's a reason for that. And it's not because I'm screaming at them and they're scared I'm going to hit them or they're scared I'm going to like, I don't know, drive them to the fire station and leave them. That they're scared I'm going to take away their shit. They're not. They're not scared like that. They're invested in me. And they know I'm invested in them. Anyway, Mary's doing a great job. She's only fucking 21. She doesn't even have the life experience to know this is instinct probably. She's excellent this. She she, she would be good like a teacher. She would be good with a lot of kids. She would be good in nursing homes. She would be good at all that stuff. This is, she's probably, she's a natural. So at some point they force Dave and Carol to sit next to each other. And Dave says he loves her. I believe that. I believe that. And he wants her to move back in. I don't know if he really wants her to move back in though. I think he wants her and her check to move back in and for her to pay some restitution for all this money she's like transferred in other accounts and did all kinds of things with. Yeah. But, because if you know, like I know, you want her to come back. But you know, he says it. You know, she's got to get, they got to get those, those $3,200 by the 14th and she got some money. But that said, Mary also says she wants her there. She wants to be able to come visit her there. And Carol starts crying. She is so soft and she is crying because this is really all she wanted. She wanted them to care about her. She wanted them to want her there. Now, Carol, I would argue you did that. The, you went a wrong way to get this result. And these people are extending you immense grace. Production, the experts probably have to talk them into this. Maybe not Mary. Mary's a good soul. Mary's a good fucking kid. But this is what you wanted. And now you got it. And suddenly, she it's like the clouds went away and she's here. So the actual cleaners get in, which is different than the people that are taking stuff out because now they're gone. We need to scrape all the rat shit off the walls and clean things. And... But they get at least the first floor stage and livable and a lot cleaned out of the second and third floors. Although they don't show them, so I don't know. You guys know how HDTV can be. This is an HDTV. But you understand like those houses shows where they'll be like, we flipped it. We did this and this and this. And they don't show you all the rooms because they didn't do all the rooms. They only did two rooms. The rest of those rooms like shit. We're making a TV show here. So I don't know if the second and third room floors were, were better or not. Um, But... It's livable. They take away 31 tons of clutter and trash. The city inspector comes through and is thrilled to see this. Says it's just a matter of getting running water and heat again because you must have those in your house. Like, again, that can that's a code enforcement thing if you're living in the house um, for many places. I know that not everybody has, like, it really just depends on where you are, but most places are like, you cannot be squatting in an abandoned building and that's okay. Like, they have a bedroom on the first floor now. And they have these two little twin beds there, like they're fucking Ricky and Lucy Ricardo. <laughs> Fine. They, you know, obviously sleeping in your own bed is actually awesome. But like, I just thought it was cute. They were like, and you look, now you each have a bed. We know you don't want to sleep next to each other and match those private parts together. <laughs> so Missy says that she's, 
she's proud of Carol and that Carol's welcome there. And this is what she wanted and that she's willing to like restart a relationship. Carol's crying. She says it means a lot because she always wanted to be a part of the family. Of course she does. And that's why she killed B. We, that's the whole fucking thing. She wanted to be in this family. Even if she didn't kill B. She definitely killed B. She definitely did it. Even if she didn't kill B. Her motivation was always, I want to be a part of this family. This beautiful life where you guys socialize and you're the crown jewel of the neighborhood. And everyone's here. And all this love and all this stuff is here. And this family. That was that's the whole reason she wanted to be there. She says it. We all knew it. And she, and that's what she wanted. Okay, so they do marry Mary's 21st birthday cake. They do a little cake for Mary's 21st birthday in the house. I wouldn't do that. I don't know how, like, we just got rat feces out of here. Let's, let's not eat here. Let's, I just, where does silverware come from? Not in here, right? Y'all, y'all brought this here, right? Is this a table? Do y'all brought this tablecloth? Do we have gloves? I don't, I don't want to put this in my mouth. Um, you know, it's a little too fresh for me. <laughs> and they give her a picture of her and her grandmother in that vintage car where B's in the driver's seat and Mary's a baby standing in the back seat. And they tell her it's not just a picture, it's a down payment to buy the car back. And I'm like, did she sell that to someone in town? Like, what do you mean buy the car back? It's, it's still available, but still. Mary's crying. It's so beautiful. So... The follow-up. Soon after they moved back in, Dave was hospitalized. He ended up dying six months after this was filmed. Carol's back living with her son and has refused aftercare. Once she refused aftercare, the family, like, cut her off. The deed was transferred to Kevin's name. They really wanted to try to, like, upkeep the house and everything. But it just needs too many repairs. It's still, it's a beautiful house. It's gorgeous. It's an old house. And then the disrepair from 20 years, you got to, there's so many things you need to do. And the, the repairs just cost too much. They've got too much debt on it. Remember, there's still two mortgages on the bitch. <sighs> yeah, like, so they, they, they are selling it. And I'm sure they sold it. Um, hopefully they sold it to someone who restored it and didn't level it. And we'll see. But like, it's a sad ending, you know. But yeah, that's it, guys. I've been talking forever. Sorry about the side trips. I'm passionate about a lot of things, including misogyny. <laughs> and I guess it's gentle parenting. That's not what I thought. I When I learned these techniques and stuff and things are through a series of like critical thinking, people modeling it to me, reading books about ways to get what you need out of the kids, especially like difficult kids, like explosive children, kids that have ADHD, kids that have like several um, issues going on. And, but I guess that's what it's called. I guess it's called gentle parenting. I like to call it slow to fuck down parenting because maybe you don't want to be screaming and throwing toys down the hallway. Maybe, maybe if you go have a piece of cheesecake and maybe watch a little TikTok, you'll be feeling a little better and you'll come out and you'll be like, actually, I think the best thing to do is not that. I don't know. But I'm, I'm passionate about those things and I end up talking about them. Um, thanks for hanging in there, guys. And I'll see you on the main episode on Sunday. Later.